The following sermon was delivered by Executive Pastor Charlene Hahn-Powell during morning worship at Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith every Sunday on the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Midtown Manhattan. And now, here is Dr. Hahn-Powell. Our scripture reading comes from Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 8. On the third new moon, after the Israelites had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They had journeyed from Rephidim, entered the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the Israelites, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. So Moses came summoned the elders of the people, and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. The people all answered as one, Everything that the Lord has spoken we will do. Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. Friends, this is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Throughout the past few months, we have all borne witness to how this current crisis has impacted our culture, our society, our very way of life. For example, crime rates are down. Air pollution has dropped dramatically. Consumer behavior is shifting. And even our collective vocabulary is growing rapidly. When there is a great social change, more often than not, there is great linguistic change. For example, one year ago, heck, three months ago, you probably weren't using phrases like sheltering in place, social distancing, or self-quarantine on a regular basis. Not to mention all the new acronyms you've picked up along the way, from COVID-19 to PPE to WFH. Some have taken to calling this time the new normal, which only really works until another normal takes its place. Others are keeping it simple and just calling it the outbreak or the crisis. One moniker that I find particularly poignant, though, is the Great Pause. Whether it's social or economic or even geological, it definitely feels like we are all at a standstill. For example, one year ago, heck, three months ago, the street our church is located on, Fifth Avenue, was buzzing with activity packed with tourists and commuters, merchants, and food carts. There are times of the year that crowds are so dense they just move down the block like globs of syrup. But not right now. I was at the church this past weekend for a wedding, don't worry, I'll get to that later, and I could barely recognize this part of the city I know so well. The sidewalks are now bare. All the stores and restaurants are boarded up. The church building is empty. I guess 
pause isn't really the right word because if we had actually hit pause on the city at any given moment in time, you would still see signs of life. The way a photograph captures people mid-motion, even when frozen, their faces giving expression to life. Now that is a pause. But what's happening right now, this feels like someone shook out every last dot from an Etch-a-Sketch, or like a great wind just swept through the city. For the first time in centuries, this great metropolis is like a desert, or better yet, like the wilderness. Untamed, uncertain, full of unknowns. Yet as perilous as that might sound, the concept of wilderness is not new to us as people of faith. Just this past Lent, we remembered the 40 days Jesus spent in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. In Genesis, we see Hagar escape from Sarah into the wilderness. But probably the most powerful image of wilderness in our spiritual subconscious is that of the Israelites. Now, if we were to hit the rewind button on our Exodus passage for the day, one year, heck, three months before we enter the story, we would find the Israelites living in Egypt, enslaved and oppressed under the rule of a pharaoh who refused to let them go. But as the story goes, with Moses as God's messenger and ten plagues in his back pocket, God delivers the Israelites. God delivers them from their bricklaying and their slave masters, delivers them from their labors and their suffering, delivers them from the hands of their enemies right into the wilderness. Initially, the Israelites are overjoyed, enjoying in with Moses and Miriam in praising the Lord. But their singing quickly turns into complaining, their gratitude into anxiety. By the time we find them in Exodus 19, they had been wandering the wilderness for three months. They are hungry and thirsty, terrified and unsure. Can you blame them? After all, they had no idea where they were going, how long it would take to get there, and what it would even be like when they finally arrived. As far as they were concerned, their deliverance didn't mean freedom, it meant death. And so when God provides them with manna, what do they do? They hoard it. When Moses brings them into a place without water, they forget all he has done and turn against him. In a world where time seemingly stands still and the future was utterly unknown, the Israelites begin to unravel. That's the thing about the wilderness. It messes with your head and it messes with your heart. So what does God do? Well, I'll tell you what God doesn't do. God doesn't make everything better in an instant. God doesn't hit some cosmic fast-forward button that brings them right out of the wilderness and straight to their promised land. But God also doesn't abandon them or send them back to Egypt to be slaves. Instead, God brings the Israelites to a different part of the wilderness called Sinai. Then God tells Moses to get his people ready for something big to happen. And with thunder and lightning, smoke and the blast of trumpets, God descends upon the top of Mount Sinai and gives the Israelites the Ten Commandments. All right, for those of you who find that utterly anticlimactic, hear me out. 
Because contrary to popular belief, the Ten Commandments aren't just a list of rules that God dispensed to rein in an unruly people. They aren't just a set of moral principles to ensure a good and healthy life. They might read like commandments, but what they represent are covenants. Promises between God and these people and these people to each other. Promises to put God first above all other powers and principalities. Promises to honor the mothers and fathers of the community, also known as the elderly. Promises not to steal what belongs to someone else, whether it is their livelihood or their land. Promises not to take another's life into your hands, regardless of what kind of justice you think you might be obtaining. Promises to honor your relationships, your neighbors, yourself. Come on. That doesn't sound like just a list of rules now, does it? Journalist and professor at Fordham University, Peter Steinfels writes, What Sinai meant was the initiation of a people into a whole way of life. And underlying that way of life was not just a set of rules, but a relationship, a covenant joining these tribes with God, with one another, and with a cosmic drama and a historical narrative. Yes, like many before them and like many after them, the Israelites spent some time in the wilderness. But if there's one thing we know for certain, it's that no matter how terrifying and unclear, desperate or unknown, God always shows up in the wilderness, but not in the ways we always want or expect. For instead of rescuing Jesus from the wilderness, scripture tells us that, the, that angels ministered to him there. Instead of bringing Hagar out of the wilderness, scripture tells us that God remained with her and Ishmael there. And instead of delivering the Israelites from the wilderness at Sinai, Scripture tells us that God spoke to them there, made promises to them there, taught them how to live as a chosen people there. Friends, the same remains true for us today. We are in wilderness territory. There's no doubt about it. Even after months and weeks of this great pause, of sheltering in place, of doing everything we can to flatten the curve, so much remains unknown, so much remains unclear. Every day we are forced to reckon with the fact that we have no idea what lies ahead for us, for our families, our economy, our country, for the world. And in our anxiety, in our restlessness, in our fear, it is easy to forget how to do life, how to hit that play button, how to hope for, think of, and imagine our future. That's the thing about the wilderness. It messes with your head and it messes with your heart. But scripture offers us a strange yet powerful antidote to that problem, to that sickness. It tells us that instead of ordering another Costco pack of toilet paper we don't need, instead of throwing our hands up in frustration at our leaders and our neighbors, instead of giving up on God, on each other, on ourselves, God says, go, heed my commandments and bind yourselves to one another, care for one another, fight for one another, belong to one another and belong to me. That is our way forward. That is our way of life. 
And we can actually start making these promises from the wilderness. If anything, I would say we have to start making these promises from the wilderness. To God, to our loved ones, to our communities. Recent polls show that throughout this pandemic, people with and without faith have started turning to prayer and to the divine for comfort and support. Just within our church community, I can safely say that I have never asked or been asked, how can I be praying for you so regularly? Week after week, you all are telling us and showing us how hungry you are for the presence of God so much that you are practicing your faith in ways that you never have before. Friends, what kind of promises is God calling you to make from this place of sacred unknown? Another positive side effect of this crisis is how much it has made us value our relationships. No matter where I turn or what I read, the overwhelming sentiment is that this great pause has taught us the importance of pausing, of eating dinner with our families, of reaching out to our friends, of gathering as a community. As I said earlier, last Saturday, I officiated a wedding at the church. Don't worry, all five of us were appropriately distanced in the chapel, except of course for the bride and groom. When this city began to rapidly shut down back in March, I was certain that this couple would want to reschedule their wedding date. But you want to know what they said? Nothing that matters has changed for us. We can do a party later, but we still want to get married now. Friends, what kind of promises is God calling you to make from this place of sacred unknown? Then there is the community at large. When one of our members lost his job, like so many around this country and around the world, the first thing he did was to reach out, tell the clergy, and then offer to start a support group for others who also lost their jobs during this trying time. Three of our youth put on a virtual concert that raised over $10,000 for City Harvest Skip Lunch Fight Hunger Program that provides food for kids who rely on school lunch programs for their main meal of the day. And while Fifth Avenue may be quiet, Fifth Avenue Church is still actively at work, helping those experiencing homelessness, food insecurity, unemployment, and more. Friends, what kind of promises is God calling you to make from this place of sacred unknown? We may be wandering in the wilderness right now. Our world may feel like it is paused for a time, but that doesn't mean that God does not have a plan for our future and work for us to do right now. So go, heed God's sacred commandments and bind yourselves to one another. Care for one another, fight for one another, belong to one another and belong to God. For that, my friends, is our way forward. And that will always be our way of life. Friends, go and heed God's sacred commandments and bind yourselves to one another. Care for one another. Fight for one another. Belong to one another and belong to God. Let that be our way forward. Let that be our way of life now and forevermore. Amen.